Hey guys, welcome back to the Swish Waterlad podcast. Yes, Waterlad is proudly sponsored by Swish, which is a super cool platform which lets you, the fans, connect with some of your favourite sports stars. As a young Hurricane fan growing up, I had an obsession with Christian Cullen and a video shout-out from the GOAT would have been the greatest present ever. Unfortunately, back then I did have to settle for a poster, but thanks to Swish, the old posters can now be turned into a video message that will last a lifetime. The prices range from $20 to $300, and it is the ideal gift for any sports fan. To order, head over to heyswish.com, and you can get 10% off by using the code WATERLAD. That's capitals and no spaces. But the very best bit of it all is that at least 20% off every video goes to Kiwi Kids Charities. Such a good cause, and it's definitely worth getting behind. And also, as I sit here with my Pomeroy's apple and feed your fruit tea in hand, oh, this thing is good. And some of these teas Pomeroy's have available will absolutely blow your mind. And you know they make the best coffee bean in the game. So if you are keen to get your hands on some coffee beans or any of their wide range of teas, head over to pomeroys.co.nz and enter the code LAD03, that's L-A-D in capitals, 03, for a very nice 20% off. I'll leave a link in the description for both discounts so you can just click on that for direct access. But let's get to the main star. It is one of the great lads. Let's roll the intro. Oh, what a lad. Well, it's not often you get a guest on who has a story so incredible that it's turned into a blockbuster movie. But today we have just the lad. He honestly has one of the most incredible footy careers, which saw him play all around the world on some of the biggest stages there is. None bigger than the 2011 Rugby World Cup, where he became the hero of a nation. And off the field, he is widely regarded as one of the greatest lads to ever play the game. It is the one and only Stephen Donald. Welcome, Beeve. Thanks for having me, mate. Some intro. Uh, I don't know what that means as far as uh, off the field, but uh, I'll take it. Mate, lots of lots of questions came in for you. You sound like an absolute rooster. No, I mean, uh, we've all got a chicken pass. Um, me, no, sort of more so than me. But, uh, yeah, no, enjoyed, enjoyed my time, that's for sure. Mate, and speaking about your time, like a lot of guys have up and down careers, but, mate, your roller coaster must have been some ride. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, like at the end of it all now, I'm glad it was. You know, it would have been, you know, it would have been nice to have had one of those beautiful plain sailing careers <laughs> and uh, everything was rosy. But I think, you know, sort of person I was, I don't think it was ever going to be like that and had to scrap for a fair bit of it. So, no, I mean, obviously it was it was some ride and look back and think, geez, you know, <laughs> how did it all unfold like that at times? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there was some dark days and there's some obviously the highest of highs. But, uh, yeah, I guess over, over the whole thing, it's just, yeah, it's just a, it was a bizarre sort of fifteen or whatever years it was, and uh, just in the end, just loved every minute of it. But at the time, when you when you're deep in some of those uh, darker days, it uh, it was tough. Yeah, and you've done a seamless transition post footy. Look at you now, sends radio every afternoon. One of the great shows. Um, how have you found that? How have you found being on the radio? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I guess my relationship with the media in my playing career probably wasn't the greatest. So uh, <laughs> to now be, you know, media is a bit, bit different. But um, 
No, I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm on with Kurt Stanway every day, so to the proper professional. Um, and uh, and I just come in with my uh, my shit chat along the side of it. But uh, she she keeps the thing going. But uh, I mean, I've been lucky, you know. As you say, talk about life after footy. Then it's a pretty it's a pretty nice one to swing into. Um, I was starting to think, you know, what is what is around the corner and yeah. what is going to fold. Like I guess so many of us do, mate. We, we stress a little bit once, you know. But, Sort of the last Japanese paycheck has been banked, and uh, you know you they were big to wonder, paychecks too. <laughs> start to wonder where we go to now, but yeah, um, yeah I guess it came at a nice time. Obviously, on the back of the COVID stuff, um, it was nice to swing into this one. So she obviously does all the prep for the shows and all that, and sort of just gives you the run rundown when you arrive. Oh, look, she'll tell you that. I mean, I do arrive a good hour or so before kickoff, um, but uh, yeah. She's got everything covered in case it all goes flat. So, uh, which sometimes does. So it's 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 good. <laughs> but you must be flat out because you've also got yeah, Grin's business, your Unreal Drink, which has taken over the RTD space in New Zealand at the moment, mate. How, how have you found that? And how did that one start? Yeah, I mean, it has been yeah. Time at the moment is a bit precious. The, yeah. the days of uh, being able to go fishing and golfing, I've got to manufacture those again now. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, but Grin's thing's been it's been hectic. It's it started off, you know, as everything does, you know, sort of a couple of conversations that you think won't really eventuate. Um, as you know, footy players, we talk a lot of rubbish at times, and nothing usually gets action. But uh, we decided to go on one of these sort of chats and uh, dug a little deeper and got into it and got to the point where we're too far in now to turn back. And uh, it's been. It's been awesome. It's been all encompassing, that's for sure. It's been, it's I guess it's just been life for the last sort of sort of seven or eight months, really. It's it's been pretty hectic, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been good fun and, and to do it with some good good boys who uh, have some very interesting business ideas at times. The two of those, um, it's uh, it's been good. Yeah, how how have they been? Did they have much input into the whole um, setup of it? And what's their what's their role now in terms of what they do? Uh, we're very much in charge of uh, the departments. They're in charge of obviously social media. Um, yeah. Certainly, certainly wouldn't allow Anton in charge of budgeting or anything like that. Um, <laughs> would already be under here his way. Um, blow it on the punt. <laughs> oh, blow it on the punt. Blow it on. Uh, I call him Santa Claus because he just thinks we can give away everything. Um, but um, no, he's both both been brilliant. Like obviously. All along said to them, boys, you know, it's what you can do is what you can do, you know, like your bread and butter is your footy and you've you got to make, that's your, that's your job at the moment. So flying to that and I'll do it in the background and you boys help out where you can. So they've been great. Damien's obviously in Japan and you, you know what it's like when you're in a Japanese apartment, you've got a bit of time on your hands. So I'm going to hear from him more now than I probably will in the coming years because uh, once he's back here, he'll have his golf course again. So, um, but at, at the moment, he's got plenty of ideas. And, and and the thing for all of us is we're in a world now that we've got, you know, we're literally learning as we go. Yeah. And, and the good thing is, I mean, we're going down it with eyes wide open and, you know, every day you're like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. You know, it's probably common sense to people who have been in it for years. Yeah. But for us, every day we're like, oh, okay, that's that's good to know. So yeah, they've been great, and it's uh, yeah, who knows where it's going to end up, but it's good fun. Yeah. So have you got have you got a plan going forward with it? Do you have do you have a dream, or where do you see it in sort of five years time? Oh man, I mean, I've got to I've got to tell you, I've got a business plan, or else you know we look like idiots. If we don't <laughs> but, uh, sell the dream. <laughs> sell the dream. It's very fluid, and I mean, 
Anton's big on playing what he sees. Uh, so I guess Grins will play what they see in a lot of regards too. But, you know, we, we've got, I guess, I guess we map out, we've recently sort of mapped out what we think the next year might look like and, and then beyond that. So, I mean, in five years' time, if we're still around, um, it means we've been successful and, and we're still trucking. So mm. I guess it's a bit like your footy career, you know, if you People want to say, you know, what's your five-year dream? Well, if we're still around in five years, I'm going all right sort of thing. So <laughs> I guess that's what we're thinking as far as the uh, with the grins. And, uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully we're not as wet behind the ears in five years' time as we have been in the last six months. <laughs> but I, I guess what helps is that it goes good. It tastes, tastes bloody good. Everyone raves about it. Yeah, it would have been a, starting off, you know, when you talk to people in the industry and, and, and around the place and say, Marketing is a big thing, and you know, obviously, you guys are going to be able to get a leg up with the profile of Anton and Damien. But mm. at the end of the day, we could have marketed it for a month or two. But if it tastes like rubbish, you ain't going to go buy another <laughs> one just because, uh, yeah. just because the boys' faces are there. So it was funny, though, mate. To be fair, we tasted it, we did the sampling in that months and months before it actually eventually went to stores. And uh, the other boys were gone, so it was just me and uh, me and Sam went to the factory at five o'clock in the morning before the first run and they said, oh, you can come at five o'clock in the morning before we hit the go button on your thousands and tens of thousands of cans yeah, um, and just have one last sample. And, and it was the most nervous drink I've ever had in my life, <laughs> um, thinking, geez, I hope we got this flavour right. And uh, luckily, I mean, I'm not the target market anyway, but uh, I was like, no, it's, that'll do us. And, and, and Lash was happy with it too, so... We were up and running, but uh, I can tell you, mate, there were two very nervous men sitting in a manufacturing uh, warehouse at five o'clock in the morning a few months ago thinking, have we done the right thing here? <laughs> so are you an RTD man or are you still still a classic beer man? Oh, look, um, I probably, up until probably three months ago, four months ago, I reckon I could have counted on one hand how many RTDs I've drunk in my life. Yeah. Um, as a youngster growing up, had a crack on KGBs and people go out and the uh, parties around Waiuki, but woke up in the morning and I thought my teeth were going to fall out, so I stayed away from them. Um, and then, obviously, being a Waikato draft uh, man, I uh, I didn't have too much option for the last 15 years. But uh, in the last three months, I reckon I can probably count on one hand how many beers I've had, and I've just right. all that on. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it's funny, like, obviously, your mates all get involved in it, because they want to, you know, support their mate. But uh, I've got mates now who I never thought I would ever see with a yellow or an orange can in their hand, and uh, and it's what they buy. So, yeah. you know, I think it's it's more socially acceptable now for us Kiwi blokes, I think, to be holding an RPD in our hands. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I know the young generation of uh, of Damien and Anton's things don't even think twice about holding an RTD, but yeah, uh, for us older ones, mate, it's uh, it's been a bit of a shift. Well, I guess you're changing that stigma because you are known as one of the manliest men around. So <laughs> seeing you hold one, I guess it makes it acceptable for everyone. Uh, look, if, if that's what it takes, mate, I'll hold as many as I need to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, but exciting times ahead for grins. But we do have a hell of a journey to get through. Uh, yours is one of the greats. So I do want to start at the start as a as a young baby beaver. What was that like? Um, oh, just like, I guess... Every sort of other Kiwi kid, you know, growing up in, you know, not not the big cities, um, just ripping into everything and played every sport going, um, put a fair bit of time in that into tennis. Um, oh, yeah. 
played all the regional stuff and the national stuff with that. And then sort of got to the age about 14, 15, realised I wasn't going to win Wimbledon. Um, so so started to park that idea. And, and what held you back? I reckon, uh, well, a few things. A backhand would have been helpful. Uh, <laughs> you need more than a first serve and a uh, wayward forehand to, uh, to make it to Wimbledon. And it's funny when you think about it because obviously you shouldn't be making your sporting career as a 10-year-old, but sort of 10 or 11, you're sort of competing with everyone. Mm. And then everyone at that age, I guess, in the big smoke, just from that age was just 12 months a year tennis. And I would just park it for six months, play club footy, like your junior boys footy, and then come back to it when it was time to try and make the nationals and qualify for the teams events and stuff like that. Mm. By the time I was, I was 12, you sort of, you're almost out the rear. So it, it just became a, a time thing. And, uh, and as I say, uh, a lack of a backhand um, probably was also very significant in that. And is that when rugby took over? No, I wouldn't say took over. Like, um, I mean, like you run had the dream of being an all black, but I still played every other sport going then, got into cricket then, started playing a little bit of uh, rep cricket and stuff, and then flagged that when I... Uh, Playing cricket on Saturday, then play rip on the Sunday, and then get a duck on a Sunday, and work out why have I just given up my entire weekend for this? Um, <laughs> you know, it's got to be a bit away. So, now I think I think the rugby obviously always had the dream, and then sort of when I got to about fifteen or sixteen, started to I used, I got I remember getting given a I think ACC used to put out a training program, and I just oh, remember yeah. getting I just remember getting this, and it was just a generic one, and I remember getting this, and I just went. I went a bit compulsive and uh, on it one summer and I went from being a, an absolute slug to someone with a little bit of toe and, and all of a sudden the following year, sort of 17, 16, 17, rugby became a little bit, I guess, in your local area, it became a little bit easier mm. and started making the, making the rep team, you know, pretty comfortably and stuff. And then it was like, oh, okay. I guess then making the decision to then go to Wesley really, I guess, kick-started it all really properly. Yeah, uh, how hard was that move? Yeah, massive, massively hard. Um, obviously, a wife and boyfriend through, and uh, Wesley, although at the time were probably the undisputed kings of um, secondary school rugby in New Zealand, didn't really have any thought of ever going there. Jerome and Johnny Afoa and Joe Rocks, who were all counties boys before they signed the big checks to go to St. Kent's, um, <laughs> they they had always sort of talked to their their people at St. Kent's and and tried to get me up there. And then in my seventh form year, I was like, you know what, maybe it is time to investigate this a bit further. So went up there, talked to them, um, the scholarships and all that were going to be sorted. Um, but then they sort of said, oh, look, because there's so many imports now in our school, um, you're probably going to start out at second 15 and all this sort of thing. And then County's got a hold of me and said, and, I, and County's hadn't really shown a whole lot of love apart from like just your normal age group stuff. And uh, they said, oh, we'll just consider going to Wesley. And staying around counties, and uh, I was like, "It's uh, it's a bit left field." But uh, in the end, uh, my old man teaches at Waikiki College, which made it even tougher. Like he was all for it, but um, he obviously it was difficult. But the funniest thing was the year before we'd played them, and uh, we had been quite a fire encounter. And at one stage, I got on the bottom of a ruck and. It, it turned into an all-in, including the sideline, and uh, I was the target of it. And uh, oh. then I was turned around on day one, and then uh, a couple of them were a couple of the Fijian boys. And obviously, when I got the Wesley, Sidamini sort of instantly became best mate. 
And I, I could sense there was a yarn just floating around this crew because the Fijians always hung together and I'd always hang with them. And then about a week into it, City just brought it up and said, you know those two there? Uh, they beat you up last year. <laughs> and because uh, and I couldn't remember who it was. But, uh, so, yeah, once I got past that, and uh, I, I love my time there. Yeah. Um, and it kick-started everything, really, as far as all of a sudden counties pulled me out of class one day and said, uh, you're playing this weekend for counties. Um, show up the training on Thursday sort of thing. So um, that was, I guess, from my childhood, I know it's, your teenage years, that was probably the, the thing that really kick-started everything and uh, I've got to be forever grateful of uh, the time there. Mate, that's crazy that County's called you out of your classroom. So did you expect that? Had you been trained with them at all or where did this come from? <laughs> no, I was, I because uh, as soon as I got to Wesley, I ended up getting a stress fracture on my back because oh. I had no idea about, I had no idea about doing weights, but I thought, oh, well, I better start doing weights. And they had a gym there, but none of the other boys needed to use them. So I just went in there in my lunchtime and started. I mean, I'm not the most coordinated thing anyway, but me doing weights as a 16 or 17 year old, no wonder I got stress fractures. Um, and so, no, I, I didn't even play the first part of the year. And then I was literally walking between classes and I heard my name over the, the loudspeaker report to the principal's office. And the county's officials are in there and they've said, look, uh, we talked to your dad this morning. We've cleared it with him. If you're keen, come to training and, and you're away. And um, well, I was nowhere near. I shouldn't have been there. Um, county was still first division at the time. And um, I ended up sitting on the bench for about four or five games that year. Yeah. And uh, it was just, it was, it was crazy. Like I'd literally get told. I was never... I was never there other than a Thursday afternoon training, their final training run. <laughs> and they'd say, oh, come on in. And oh, okay, yep, we're playing Auckland. We're playing Waikato this week. You're on the bench. And I'm like, well, I've got no idea what's going on here. I'm literally I'm literally 60K geez, dripping wet here. Um, and that's when the All Blacks all played NPC. So you can imagine being a 17-year-old. Just like, oh. What were the guys uh, like um, when you went into the environment? Were they all welcoming or were they pretty um, tough work for a oh, young school kid? It was still about like proper old school era, but um, I was lucky there was a couple of guys from Waiku in there. And there was, because I was at Wesley, there was a couple of Wesley guys in there. Oh, yeah. So you sort of had you sort of had a bit of a cushioning. Um, yeah, I mean, no, nah, but to be fair, they were probably pretty good. It was probably a, a more welcoming team than maybe if you'd gone into one of the, like the big guns. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, when you look back now, it was just like, geez. What was what was up? What was going on? <laughs> and how did you go? How did you go on the field when you got a crack? Uh, I remember my first game. Uh, Bay Plenty dropped the first pass I got, um, so that was good. Uh, good confidence uh, booster. Good confidence booster. Trugged off the field thinking, well, that was my one and only game for counties. Um, but I had had one, had one decent sort of cameo. Lockie Crichton went down after about thirty minutes against Canterbury at Pookie Stadium and this is the day after we just won the top 32 final for Wesley and they said oh they rang me up after the game from the change room they said oh tomorrow can you come in and play for us I hadn't heard from them for a couple of weeks and so I'm sitting on the bench there and then Lockie's going down and I was like oh no and this is when Canterbury had about 17 current all backs and I was like oh no Lockie shake it off please shake it off um, but he went off and I'm out there and I'm thinking geez I'm going to play 50 minutes here or whatever it was and uh, started to Started to enjoy it and a few things started to go my way. And then thankfully Lockie got a jab. That's when jabs under the under the shed were all go. And uh he got one and came back out of 
he was very good to me, Lockie. I think he's, I think he knew there was a seventeen-year-old out, well out of his depth out there, but he needed to say. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. And I vividly remember actually ball boying you. It must have been the following year when you were playing against Nelson Bays. Um, oh, you, must, yes. you must have been really young. Obviously, you were a year out yeah. of school, but I must have been quite an old ball boy too now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I vividly remember hand, handing you the tea and you acknowledging me. Like Not many guys would acknowledge you when you give them the tea, but you you made an effort and changed my life. <laughs> Yeah, those, those second division rock stars, mate, they, they didn't always say thank you. <laughs> but what was it like going down to that competition? Probably felt more in your skill level, yeah. I guess. Yeah, no, nah, and, and it was good because, like, and it's interesting about when you're going to represent now, like, whether you'd still do that sort of thing. But, like, I had two years down there, and I still think that was more beneficial for me than going and playing Colts or whatever it was in one of the big unions because yeah. you're playing grown men, you're playing for a team that if you play poorly for, if you walk down the street after a game, you'll hear about it still. Mm. So it's a bit of a hardening up process in that regard. So like people care about the success of for that instance, counties or whatever. Um, so, and like back then, yeah, now so Hawks Bay were on another level to, mm. to most. Um, so there was sort of Hawks Bay, and then there was Nelson, Bays, us, um, Manawa too, all sort of scrapping around that that second sort of posy area. Yeah. And uh, it was good footy. Like, uh, I used to love coming down there on the hard track, and uh, it was good, fun footy. And we had Sidovini, obviously, in our team. So yeah. I'd just throw cut out to him, and <laughs> we're just hoping the best, really. <laughs> so then, why the move to Waikato? Oh, well, back then it just, I mean, back then the super bases at NPC level were the base of the of the franchise. Yeah. And I don't think I'm giving away any great secret that if you play for an NPC team in one of those bases, the odds are you were going to get picked for the super team. Yeah. So I'm glad to see where it's at now. Like you can literally, as you say, you can play for Lamarck or you can play for counties and you can be anywhere. But mm. back then it was just a way that super teams could recruit <laughs> for the NPC teams. It was corrupt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, that's the way it was. So I knew I had to get to a base to get to Super. And it, and it pretty much came down to Waikato or Otago. And Otago had been knocking on the door for probably since the moment uh, finished school at Wesley. Oh, and yeah. so did Waikato. But um, Otago had probably had sort of winked and nudged and said, oh, look, if you come down, you'll get Super probably a year earlier. Um, but and I, and I stubbornly said, oh, well, pick me and I'll come down. Um, and, and they went another way. <laughs> so um, I never went in the end. But um, in the end, Waikato was, at the time, it was more of a case of, you know, I'm still pretty green little boy and it's only an hour and a half from home. Mm. And Hamilton seemed like a massive city to me anyway. Well, any city in New Zealand seemed like a massive city to me. So yeah. um, it was just a nice sort of safe option, I think. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, talk, Dad obviously had a fair bit of, you know, thought about it all and he just thought, oh, there's probably a quicker route to being the starting team you know, there than a few of the other places. And they sort of had David Hill at the time and, and Glenn Jackson had moved on to Bay of Plenty and then off to overseas. So that was going to be the, the quicker route we sort of thought about. And in the end, it, it worked out. And, yeah, it was a massive part of my life being a Mulu man. Yeah, and how was it? How was living in Hamilton? How was playing for Waikato? Yeah, I mean, I remember my first week down there was O-Week. And I remember vividly being in the outback at about 2 o'clock in the morning and it was a Monday or Tuesday and just looking at myself saying, what, what am I doing? Where am I? Where can I be at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Monday? You know, like 
I'm coming from somebody we just uh, Friday and Saturdays are your only options. But uh, I was just getting caught in the uh, bright lights of the Tron from day one. Um, but then, yeah, no, nah, I mean, once I got settled in and got into my routine, again, living with Sidovini, which was, um, again, a great experience for me, me and my old uh, schoolmate. Uh, we lived the first couple of years together. So, yeah, Hamilton, I love Hamilton. I know a lot of people who've never experienced Hamilton have no time for it, but I think it's a great city and... Uh, you know the people. The people there were always wonderful to me, and you know I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for a world. Yeah. What was Sedovini like to live with? Um, <laughs> well, what can I say? Uh, well, and Waikato's smartness, I guess they employed a cleaner, and <laughs> who I think was only supposed to come once every fortnight. She ended up coming, I think, twice weekly. Um, there was. I remember. Glenn Ross, who was in charge of us at the time, he came to us and said, boys, you've got an issue. I was like, what? He goes, oh, we've got a $3,000 heating bill for you. And that was more than what I was on from Waikato. So, <laughs> and Rossi knew this. So I looked at Ross and go, well, he's got super rugby already. I, I've got no money. I'm not paying a 3000 But City, obviously, was like an incubator, our house. Every heater in the uh, in the room was on and... Uh, it was just uh, it was a sauna and a messy sauna at that, but um, Red City go back a long way. So it was uh, apart from all that, it was great times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he quick earned a lot of money, so he ended up buying his own mansion. So <laughs> I just I caught up some of my mates from back home and started flatting with them over in uh, Hillcrest. So yeah. <laughs> and on the field, how was it on the field? Obviously, that's when the famous Stephen Donald show and go was introduced to New Zealand every second carry. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great showing goes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, we were, it was amazing. Like my first year of Waikato, John Mitchell was our head coach. Oh yeah, and he had literally just come from the year before being the All Black coach, and so like it's, it was just like you were just in the days every day you went to training, and like Mitch brought the same organisation and the same, I guess, trimmings around the team that you would mm. expect the All Blacks to have, and like the computer work and how he structures week and all the themings. And I was just like, I mean, I'd come from second division counties and I was just thinking, cheapest, you know, what have I walked into here? And it was so good. And he'd spend hours with you and, and go into depth, like the likes of which you have never seen before. I think he probably made his own sort of computer analyzing program. You know, he was, he was that engrossed in it. So, sure. and, that, and that was great for me. And then following on from that, got super rugby. They played a few Got a few starts for Waikato and MC that year, and I think we bowed out in the semi in Wellington, I think. But yeah, it was a great time. And then to get the super on the back of that, when I knew I was on the cusp of it, but back then it was only 26 players get the get the oh, contract. So yeah. there was still a real nervous, nervous wait for I think they used to have that draft day in October oh, yeah, at the yeah. end of NPC and just sitting by your phone thinking, is this the year? Because I've been for it the first the last couple of years of being in the pool, but obviously never getting picked. So oh, yeah. Um, that was an experience to wait for finally get the uh, get the go ahead with the Chiefs, but and then obviously just goes again as far as the professionalism and, and everything from there. So um, now those early years, it's almost like you're just in the days anyway. You're just you're just a kid still, yeah. and you just you know what's like. You just got to right. I got to be at training at eight o'clock, and you're just following the following the path <laughs> from there. And how did you find out that you got drafted? Is how did that thing work? Well, it's funny. Uh, the the previous years, when I was so called in contention for the Chiefs and, and these other places, um, I got rung by 
you know, the assistant coach or the manager or whatever. But the year that they picked me, Fozzie rang me up and said, oh, we're going to take you this year, Pete. So oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's good, mate. <laughs> and then, then he, I remember because I was about to go play touch-up home and a bit of a Thursday night and he said, oh, you've got to be down here at 9 o'clock tomorrow for a press conference. But like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. But there's, <laughs> I don't know what shape I'll be in, Foz, but I'll be there. <laughs> and what memories stand out for you from your Chiefs days? Um, we used to... The group that we had, to be fair, like mm. and like we were we were inconsistent as buggery, especially for a lot of those early years. And just it's not like we tried to, but you can almost put a clock to it that we'd lose our first three or four games. <laughs> and then and then we would just catch a light and we would almost be unbeatable for the rest of it. But when you're playing super twelves, sometimes the playoffs were even gone and you and you couldn't make it even if you won your last seven or eight because we'd already yeah. dropped our first three or four. And so I just remember like the days of once we finally caught caught a light, it was just so easy playing with your Luakis and you know your, your loose boards for me because we just had a pretty simple game plan. We'd get over the advantage line out wide with you know a city or something like that, and then you'd just come back into the midfield and then you'd have Luaki rolling on, and we'd just play off the back of that. Yeah, and uh, and that was that was pretty cool. And obviously in 09, we went all the way to the final and then just uh, had an absolute uh, disaster in Pretoria, but. Again, you know, at start you talked about the, the ride and all the rest of it. Playing a final in Pretoria, you know, like, yeah, it would have been great to have won it, don't get me wrong, but experiencing playing the Blue Bulls at Loftus, the final, is uh, something else. I mean, anyone that's played them when they, were, when they were rocking and rolling and they had the whole Springbok team pretty much, it was, uh, it was an experience like nothing else. Um, from the moment you leave your hotel to the moment you get out there, it's... Yeah. Quite incredible. So those were probably it. And then the, I guess the second stint coming back, um, I don't know what I was walking into. I don't know how much fun it would be, but it was, oh, I, yeah, I'm just so glad that I ended up taking the punt on that and, and doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just, I guess, coming back and knowing that you're going to be a contender every year because that's what they built under Rens was pretty special. And then obviously the, the group there was a fairly decent group of guys, but also footballers as well so mm. I mean the Chiefs for me just it's just always been just awesome buggers to hang out with and uh and guys are going to front and you know some years it works out better than others but uh just a special special time in our lives again yeah good times so going back to your first stint with the Chiefs your form was obviously good enough to get your call into the All Blacks was that expected when that came or uh, how did that one come about um well yeah I mean I guess after a couple of years there, I started to think it must be knocking on the door. And, and the year before I actually got picked, I was I went down to a uh, training camp that they tried to keep under wraps yeah. before the World Cup, the OSIN World Cup. And they, um, I, I remember looking around and I was the only one there because uh, DC was still over with the Crusaders. They were still making their way back from Africa. Oh. And, uh, and Millsy, my great mate, who was obviously a senior pro at the time, he was like, oh, you're in. You're going to be all that. You're going to be all that. And I was like, just, just shut up. And then uh, went down there for this one-day training camp in Wellington. Um, and uh, I think I butchered every one of uh, Smithy's uh, Y-line drills. Um, so I don't, know if, I don't know if I cost my World Cup selection then and there, but I probably could have found it. Um, and then they, they said, oh, they told us after, um, oh, if you get a phone call tonight, it's not good news. But if not, it's all go tomorrow morning sort of thing. And uh, 
Mills and Newell's in an absolute uh, jittering mess. Uh, so he took me out for dinner and it started to get to about 9.30 and I'm like, wow, Ted, Ted would be in bed by now. Surely I'd have been called by now. Is this good news or what? But unfortunately, sitting in a Japanese restaurant, Ted gave me a dreaded call to say I wasn't going to be picked. So, oh. um, yes, that was, that was, I guess that's what probably all of a sudden gave me thought that it could happen. Yeah. And getting that close, obviously it was heartbreak, but in retrospect, there's no way I was going to be ready for that. The 07 World Cup quarterfinal, if I'd been thrown out there, I know I'd have been a man to the slaughter, I think. But um, I think, yeah, the following year, obviously, it was very much in your, in your thought process that this is what I'm working toward and, and I must be pretty close after the previous year. And, and then, yeah, just, uh, again, there was a training camp at the end of Super Rugby. And, again, you're not trying to get too excited because being down this route before, but then... <laughs> Then they uh, listening to the radio uh, one Sunday morning. Uh, Ted, Ted, uh, well, not Ted didn't read it out, but um, yeah, someone read it out, and it was in there. Crazy. And did you feel good enough once you were named, and once you're in that environment, did you feel ready to be an All Black? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess you, when you're looking around, and you know, you like think, well, obviously DC aside, then you think, yep, I deserve to be here. Mm. But I guess because it's all you've ever wanted, and that it took a I don't know when I even felt comfortable in there or if I ever did, you know. It was, yeah. it's, it was probably so surreal to me that it'd been your dream all those years that, you know, like they, as soon as you get in there, they talk about, oh, be a great all-back, blah, blah, blah. And then you're thinking, well, oh, hang on. No, you got Burdens <laughs> and Spencer and Fox and all that. When you were growing up, they were great all-backs. So I'm nowhere near it. Um, so it was just, you know, funny things like that. I remember sticking your head and it took um, – yeah, I reckon, like, I, I didn't really think I was an all-black until we played the Tri-Nations. It ended up being a Tri-Nations and Bledisloe decider in Brisbane. And um, they crazily took Mar off uh, with about 20 to go when we were down by about fifth, oh, no, we were down by about eight or nine. Yeah. And they chucked me out there. And I remember them pulling Mar off and said, I'll beat you up. And I was saying, oh, me for, me for Mar? <laughs> we need points. What are you bringing me on for? <laughs> But uh, they bumped Desi out, and, and we got and we got the result in the end. And uh, I think that was eight or nine games into I guess the the career plan for the All Blacks. And it was that night sitting back at hotels when I actually felt like an All Black because the rest of them were all sort of those cameos, and the job was done. And yeah. you know, like yeah, it was nice to be capped and all the rest of it. But it was ten minutes on the field when we were already up by fifteen or, or what have you. So. I guess that was the night that, for me, was almost like my debut where I actually felt like a genuine All Black and mm. it contributed to, I guess, a tough situation. Mm. And I feel like not many people got um, the public scrutiny that you did throughout your career. And did you feel like that even at this stage when you were playing well and um, you were, you'd were just come into the All Blacks? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I did. And uh, like I tried to block myself off from it, but I guess there was that constant feeling of, like a lot of the times I was like, are you kidding me? Um, like, you know, I thought I'd played well enough in super for, you know, a few years and whenever it was NPC time, he'd go back and play well there. But yeah, it was, it was constant almost having to prove myself that, you know, I am the second best 10 in this country. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it did get a little bit frustrating after a while, but I guess it added to, it helped me in a lot of ways because it just constantly added a chip to my shoulder. Mm. Uh, and trying to prove people wrong but at times it would have been good to have been out of focus your energy elsewhere but yeah I don't know I was, I was a little bit surprised by it all but I guess at the time you know like all the media was based out of Auckland and, and Waikato is unfashionable you know there's, 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 there's no there's no there's no hiding from that you know and 
and guys from other teams like you just get talked up quicker than you do if you're from that part of the world, I reckon. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, it might be just me being old and cynical, but uh, it's just, uh, I just at the time, it was just the reality, you know? But then it all spiraled even worse after that Hong Kong uh, game. Obviously, lots been talked about that, but how did you feel after that night? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I walked off the field knowing that I'd played poorly and, you know, made a couple of, just really annoying because it just come back in the NPC, had four or five good weeks there and was feeling in a real good good space and we'd had an internal game and that went real well and mm. just getting up to Hong Kong, 20 minutes to go. I mean, they chucked me out there and just made a real few poor decisions. Um, and then at the end of the day, missed the goal kick that could have probably smothered over a few of the decisions that I made. The goal kick that you'd usually bank on getting sort of 14, 15 in from touch, 20 odd hour. You yeah. nail that and the game's buried. Yeah. Puts us out for eight points as opposed to five. Um, and and all the other stuff would have just become sort of quickly forgotten about. Mm. But um Unfortunately, missed that and then missed, missed the touch and then all of a sudden, you know, O'Connor kicks it from the sideline and and just, yeah, it was just a brutal part of, I guess, brutal part of the job and, you know, like, because you can lock yourself away when you're touring and, you know, social media was a thing then but it wasn't massive so I wasn't on it and I didn't need to be on it and I was, then all of a sudden I was getting messages from my mates back home who weren't rugby mates, they were just mates from back home and they were saying, Hang in there, boys, sort of thing. And you're like, you would never text me that. What's going on? <laughs> and uh, and that's when I was like starting to think, geez, what's what's been the I know I've played poorly and we've lost the test and all the rest of it. But obviously that sort of was a I guess an introduction to what the aftermath was gonna be. And then once I got back to New Zealand, it just continued and, and over summer it continued and and then all through super, whenever we weren't playing at Hamilton, it just continued and True. It just, uh, it just wore, I guess in the end it wore me down a fair bit um, and, and probably had a fair bit in the decision to sign with Bath, you know, because, mm. I mean, I'd never dreamed of going overseas and playing rugby to make money. I'd just dreamed of being an All Black. So I was never going to walk away from that if I thought it was still a possibility. Mm. But the way it was unfolding and the news, I was sort of starting to get filtered back from the top I sort of knew that the All Black days were done, um, so that's that's the, that's the only reason in the end I signed with Bath. Um, yeah. So how it's hard it. was it? Was it when you were going out? Or like, could you go out in public, or were you just constantly uh, copying it? Yeah, constantly. Like, I pretty much wouldn't go out. Um, if I went out, I'd go out in a mind that I wouldn't actually be able to remember what you told me. So that's not a good state to be going out in. Yeah. But that, that was probably that was probably only a couple of times during Super Rugby when I sort of needed a blowout. And then, yes, going to the supermarket and stuff like that was, I guess, at night time with your hoodie on sort of thing. It was just True. very much from house to house to training, training to home and and just sort of track through it because it was just, yeah, it was just getting to a point where it was like you couldn't, couldn't avoid it. So it was just, it was a funny old time, but um, yeah, I mean, now you look back and you sort of go, oh, again, I was glad it happened. But um, yeah, at the time, it was a fairly dark sort of dark sort of uh, eight or nine months. Mate, that's crazy. So when the World Cup squad was selected, you were never expecting to make it? No, Ted had rung me up probably a few weeks beforehand. Mm. Um, and he's, you know, I can't remember too much what he said because in those conversations, yeah. 
as soon as you've heard what you've not wanting to hear, you've you've switched off and, and it's probably more for their benefit than anything. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you just said something like, yeah, you're not going to be there or best in Bath. Um, thanks for the last few years sort of thing. Um, so, no, I was, I was well out of the picture. Never got told that, oh, yeah, you're this in line, you're this in line. It was, you know, just enjoy Bath and, um, and be on your way pretty much. And what point did you start thinking, hang on, I, I might be getting called in here? Well, no, I Kahui um he messaged me after he messaged me after um yes, the one and only. Uh he messaged me after DC's groin and he goes, get ready, boy, get ready. And I was uh I remember where I was when he was ringing and I was like, nah, mate, because they took they'd actually taken cruds to a training camp and cruds you know, had a good NPC too, so there was no reason to think that they'd changed their thinking there. So Obviously, um, about a day later after Kahui tried to tell me I was coming in, um, they, they'd already got cruds in there. Um, so, no, and, and to be honest with you, like, because Pity had been doing a lot of the goal kicking and, and things like that, and he had sort of taken a, a, a more senior role in it all, um, I remember watching the quarterfinal. I think it was probably the first All Black game I've had you know, actually watched when um, Slade went down. Yeah. I was like, oh well, I'm, I'm still, I'm under no, no illusions that I, I haven't been told anything. Um, so I don't have any great hope here. So well, I'd already had plans to go white bay the next day, and I was already having to get up at sort of Sparrow. So I was like, well, I'm still going because I've, I'm under no reason to think any otherwise. And I told Kahui, don't you bloody ring me, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then he's texting me that night saying, nah, 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 Shag's just talked to me. What are you up to? And I said, I still don't take this as anything other than your rubbish chat. Um, so then, yeah, and obviously, as the story goes, it wasn't until late that next afternoon after we got off the river that I had even thought that it was going to happen. True. That's crazy. And then how quickly did you have to be in the squad? Uh, the next day, because they played the day before, so they'd given everyone a day off, and then they they weren't training bugger all anyway by that stage. Yeah, because I was so I was so beaten up. So I remember I had grandma's birthday that night, so I had grandma's birthday, and then because I was carless, because uh, the All Blacks had taken my car off me, um, <laughs> I'd actually had I'd actually had Kahui's car for the previous six months, and uh, he said, "I'll." Come back because I was up home in Waiuki. He said, come back to Hamilton and we'll drive up tomorrow together. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea. So I went back to Hamilton, came back with Cucks. And uh, a bit nervous, obviously. We stop at the uh, Huntley, I think it's a shell station there at Huntley. And um, he uh, goes and puts petrol in the diesel ute. So <laughs> we end up being about two hours late from when I was supposed to be in there because we're waiting for a ute to get pumped out. So... But my sweaty palms have just gone absolutely berserk waiting to get to the hotel now. And it's uh, it's got even more awkward showing up late to my first day back in there when, you know, they probably didn't bank on having to call me up anyway. Yeah. Um, it just made it, made it a wee bit more awkward. Oh, man, that's crazy. And how did you feel? Did, had you been doing any training? Did you feel did you feel ready to give it a crack? Oh, like, I was, I was, it's funny because some people say, oh, did you ever think about saying no? I was like, well, yeah. no, I was never going to say no. Um, it's what you'd always craved. But as far as conditioning goes, we'd finished the NPC about seven weeks earlier. We'd lost the final. And I had in my mind um, that, you know, I was going to be missing everything about New Zealand for two, three years was my contract at Bath. So I was just yeah. going to try and pack everything into that six six weeks. So 
I had uh, I'd had a heavy six weeks. Uh, <laughs> and I remember Cucks telling me, he goes, you should start doing some training for Bath then, you know? And, I, and, my, and my motivation for Bath at the time was about that. So I was like, mate, it's a guaranteed contract. Who cares what shape I show up in? Um, so, no, I showed up in some pretty rough shape to the All Black environment, to be fair. Um, I remember going to see Nick Gill, the trainer at the time, and obviously working for the Chiefs. I said, mate, I'm not in great shape. Um, what can I do? And he goes, no, nah, you'll be all right. You've got, you got a good engine. Um, just do a bit of sharpening work during the week if you want. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you don't even... I mean, you pride yourself on your fitness all your career, and then the most famous game you're playing, you're completely overweight. <laughs> People are telling you how fat you were, so it's um, it was a bit of a bit of a kick in the guts. But anyway, mate, that's so good. That's so good. So, did you still feel confident in your skill set and stuff to be playing in a World Cup final? Yeah, I guess you don't, you don't really think about it, but yeah, the good thing about going into the campus because I guess when you think you're never going to be an All Black again, you have a few sleepless nights thinking, where did I let this all slip? Yeah, and. I had plenty of those nights from Hong Kong onwards and a lot of it was around like I, I would play a certain way for the Waikato and Chiefs, which was very simplistic. But then when I'd go into the All Blacks, I'd, you know, I'd complicate things and, and try and do stuff, you know, like DC, for example, had the greatest kicking game I've ever seen. Yeah. And yet I'd go in there and obviously the All Blacks had these kicking calls for that kick, that kick, that kick. <laughs> and I'm like Okay, I'm, uh, I'm, I've got to produce that too, do I? And, you know, you'd, you'd beat yourself to the pulp trying to train and get it there. But, you know, like, as we all know, I'm not the most fluid and gifted sort of athlete in that regard, but he could just drop it on a drop on a five-cent piece. So yeah. I guess the good thing about all of that experience was when I got called back in, I was like, right, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do this, this and that, and that's all I'm going to do. And, um, you know... That was probably the thing that held me in good mindset for, you know, having not touched the footy for about six weeks. Yeah. The fact that I wasn't going to go in there and try and change the world um, was good. And to be fair, the coaches were actually, and it's probably the first time the coaches were similar on that. They're like, right, just do, what are, you, what are your two good kicks? And I was like, long, high. <laughs> and um, and that, those were going to be my two kicks going into the games. So, yeah. you know, just stuff like that. Oh, I think, you know, in hindsight, I wish I'd done that from day dot in the All Blacks, but uh, mm. might not have had to go through all the other stuff. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, was a, it was a good way to probably go in there just to keep it simple. I've got these two kicks. I'll run hard if there's a chance to dummy, try and go, and yeah. otherwise I'm just going to pop a bit. Nice. And when you got the call on the bench, how was the heart? Yeah, I was, like, I was sitting there thinking, oh, crowds will, crowds will walk this off, surely. And then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, no. Because <laughs> there's that moment that he got up, and I was looking at the big screen, and, Looked like he was going to shake it off, and then he stands up, and then this, the medico sort of let him stand on his own two feet, and then he sort of just collapses on that knee. I'm like, "Rightio, we're into it now." Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like, yeah, the heart was gone, but at the end of the day, for ten months after Hong Kong, it was the moment you never thought you were going to get again. So, it was just something that you were that. I guess, as I said, there's a chip on your shoulder, and you're that sort of focused on taking full advantage, you know, like a lot of a lot of stuff had been said and carried on about me in that ten months. So I had forty or fifty minutes to try and try and uh wash that all away really. Yeah. And when that penalty went, they point point to the post, mate. I loved how confidently you <laughs> strode up to the spot with the kicking tee. Were you feeling that confident? Uh yeah, I mean it's it's one of those ones that it was actually probably pretty fortunate that that's one that 
in my routine, my general training routine, that that's yeah. that's one of the ones I always sort of have in my uh, session. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you put that over a million times and, you know, I knew, you know, like it, it should be bread and butter. And, you know, at the time I wasn't thinking that this could change everything, which if I had, it, it probably would have shanked and then come off the channel. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was just a kick that had to go over. So it was good. I had, I had Mick Byrne on the tee, who was always a good sounding board for me around my kicking stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, and I told him before the game, look, because whenever I got myself into trouble as far as goal kicking wise, it was always if I sped things up and and speeding things up, like you, you set up your routine and everything. Mm. So I just said to Mick, I said, mate, if you bring a tea out to me, just tell me to be slow. Mm. And it probably still wasn't that slow because I was probably, the heart was probably going 100 <laughs> miles an hour. But at least in my mind, I was thinking slow. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then apparently it snuck in. I never saw it go over, but apparently it snuck in the right end upright. And when you hit it, did you think it was yeah. over straight away? Yeah, because that's yeah. why I always I always start mine sort of a meter in from that um, right hand upright, and they never go they never go right. They never, mm. I never have a fade on it, and so yeah. I hit it, saw it, yep, happy, charge back, and then uh, wasn't until later on that night after <laughs> we could all relax that a few people were like, you know, it only just went over, eh? And I was like, what do you mean? And they go, it started to go out right. <laughs> so yes, oh, I could have nice. been the idiot. I could have been the editor running back and it hit the upright and the game's still going on there. <laughs> Celebrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have just kept running. I'd have just kept running back to Hamilton. <laughs> but what about the rest of your game? Did you ever review that game? How did, how did you feel you went? No, nah, I mean, all, all I remember is we had to make a million tackles. Yeah. And uh, that was a cool thing. Like, it was one of those ones that you really had to earn. Mm. And... You know, like I've, anyone that knows me knows I've never really enjoyed uh, the defensive aspect of the game. Um, but that night you sort of did because you just felt so secure um, with a bunch of dudes also that you'd spent a lot of time with and you were your good mates with. So, you know, it was the quietest Mars ever been. Usually Mars got plenty of lip for me, but he was that tired. He couldn't talk too much, but it was just literally just looking at each other yeah. and you sort of knew that got my inside covered, I've got your inside covered, and it was just one of those nights. And um, to do it with that sort of group and, you know, been for a bit with, it was uh, it was pretty cool. But, yeah, as far as the game goes, it probably wouldn't have been a great watch. Um, but uh, it was it was a nice sort of way to win it, I reckon. Mm. And what were the celebrations like? Post-World Cup success at home. Must have been one of the great nights. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, again, I remember... Mick Byrne coming to me, who knew me well, um, he came to me probably about, oh, because we stayed in the shed, because it's such, such a late game. Mm. Um, I think it was a nine o'clock kickoff. We stayed in the shed till, I think, two-ish. Oh, that's right. We didn't get back to the hotel until three. And I remember Mick coming to me and he goes, because um, he's probably, he sensed that I could really enjoy this. Um, he said, look, we're going to have a few days of this. Just save us and you want you want to take all this in and so I mostly I mostly took that on board and I did take it pretty easy for a long time and then um got whistled down I think to what the a lot of the sponsors had hired out big apartments down in the viaduct yeah I, mean, I ended up down there with Millsy smoking cigars with him and Georgie Gregg and I think it probably 10 in, in the morning there and then we, then we get a text saying oh you better get we'll get back to the uh Hotel. We've got a team meeting in the uh, a team meeting in the um, team room to get organised for these um, these parades. 
and say so you're, you're walking in there saying, oh, Jesus, I'm going to be a bit of sort of try and scrub myself a bit, scrub myself up a bit here. And you walk in there and there's obviously just bins and bins of the, the sponsors, the sponsors finest and, uh, and a few clean polo shirts and uh, sunglasses for everyone. <laughs> so, but it has, like with the All Blacks, obviously you go on any of your tours and you get that one day where, or one night somewhere where you can really let your hair down. But the best parts of that whole experience was having that three days where we stayed as a team and then we went around the countryside mm. where there was no next game to prepare for. Or there, were no, there was no chat of ice baths or yeah. recovery and that. You know, you could just really enjoy it. And like, yeah, they were big nights, but it was just more being with a group that you spend so much time with but never really had those sort of moments with. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the best night by far was coming back We'd been down to Christchurch, and obviously that was the terrible year that Christchurch had, so there was no accommodation for us after that. And then the next day I was in Wellington, and uh, again, we get a text saying, oh, come into the team room, guys, put a bit of food on for you, blah, blah, And everyone's pretty jaded by the stage, and you walk in there, and they'd set it up like a bar, and there was there was DJ set-ups, and, and honestly, hands down, the greatest one of the greatest nights of life. And, uh, <laughs> I think, I think at about I think at about four o'clock in the morning we decided to go hit Wellington on a Monday night. There wasn't a whole lot going on, but uh, it was still still again just a, a special time. And uh, yeah, got for another parade there. And I think when we went to head office before the parade, and I uh, I think head office made the mistake of rolling out some of uh, Steinlager's finest too. And uh, I don't think the boys need much topping up. And I think a few of the staff and, and Chewy were thinking, uh, what have we done here? These boys have got to go on a parade soon. So how did your life change post that World Cup? Um, oh, I mean, yeah, there was a whole lot of stuff that, I guess, flowed on the back of it. And, and I've got a job now that probably doesn't happen if the World Cup doesn't happen. But yeah. um, for me, it was more a case of getting your life back, you know, like talked about there at the start how, you know, you didn't want to go to pu- going to public and, mm. you know, you're constantly looking at people thinking, what do you think of me? Or, yeah. you know, like, what are you saying behind my back sort of thing? Um, to, you know, not, you know, just getting getting a relaxedness, about relaxedness, if that's a word, um, just back in your life, you know, and just being able to enjoy life again. Um, and, yeah, like, there's been stuff that have flowed from that, you know, mm. which would have never happened otherwise, which has been great. But that's just all the trimmings on top, really. For the guts of it for me was just getting your life back, really, and, and you know, getting life back for the family and that. And and a, and a big thing, too, I guess, graded me a little bit was being proud to be like proud to be an all back again, yeah. Uh, for you know, like you know, when you hear bits and pieces about oh, I don't deserve to be an all black and all the rest of it, you're like, you know, that cuts pretty deep. Mm. So, I guess, being, being proud of being able to achieve what we did and bounce back from, I guess, the horror that was Hong Kong. 100%. And one of those trimmings you talk about was the movie, a movie about your life, mate. <laughs> what sort of an input did you put on that? Uh, I had a – the movie place actually, strange enough, got McConey to come interview me for the best part of about eight hours. Mm. Um, and so he came and interviewed me and they and he then gave them all that information. And then they obviously just went off and, and wrote their movie and then sent us a few scripts and we're like, well, oh, come on, this is – this is too Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. So at the end of the day, because um, people ask you how true's, how how close is that? And I was like, oh, yeah. well, the guts of it is, the outline of it is pretty much bang on. And then obviously there's all the GST sprinkled on top pretty much. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, 
was a it was a situation where I got rang up about it when I was in Bath by Simon, my, my manager, and he said, "Hey, they want to do a movie about you." I said, "What?" Well, and he said, "Yeah." And he said, well, "I said to him, do you reckon it'll happen?" And he goes, "Nah, probably won't, will it?" And I go, "Nah." So what should I say to him? I'll say yes, but it's not going to happen. And then two months later, we get rung up. Oh, you've got movies happening, by the way. And it was like, oh. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Were you happy with the guy who played you? Did a good job? Yeah, David. Like, I mean, admittedly, I've only watched it once. And uh, I watched it the day that it came. Well, David was on one. And admittedly, I might not have been. Or, I prepared myself for it. So I was pretty dusty. And uh, <laughs> so I, I can't recall the whole movie. But um for everyone that's watched it, says who knows me says he did a good job of taking me off. And I had a couple of I had a couple of nights with him and that prior to him doing his acting and stuff. So um yeah, it's good, he's a real good fella. But uh yeah. I guess the kids will watch it one day. Um, yeah. but uh yeah, it's uh inter- interesting to see you being, you know, a feature of a movie. It's uh, quite a bizarre, quite a bizarre situation. Yeah, there's some crack up lookalikes in there. Um, that, uh, some, some of the characters, whoa, hard case. Well, some, some of some of them I thought were absolutely accurate, and then some of them, some of the people who the actual people in real life were quite disgusted at uh, what the what it looked like. I was like, oh, yeah. have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> Oh, but you touched on your move to Bath and why you did it. Um, how did yep. you how did you find it once you got over there? Yeah, it's a funny one. Like, um, I guess for Bath, the club, the worst thing to happen was probably the World Cup final because, you know, like all of a sudden, the reason I went there was no longer a reason. Mm. And I wish I was, you know, like I, I did bring my age enough, you know, furiously for a couple of days after the final and said, come on, let's, I'll stay, I'll stay. I don't need to go now. I can stay, sort of thing. Yeah. And he said, "No, go, go. I need my commission. Go." <laughs> um, but, uh, so I went, and you know, like Bath was Bath's great city, but you know, like they were a club at the time who, I think they were they were trying to find themselves. Like they got a billionaire owner who was more worried, probably about he he bought this estate and decided that that's where they're going to be based. Yeah. And like that's great, but. You know, like there's a whole lot of other stuff that is more important than this, and it was just it was just a bit showy. Um, one of the worst things that happened to me is my first week up there was uh, European Cup games, and I was excited because I was like, well, I signed off Bath over a couple of other teams because they were in Europe, and I thought, well, I'd get bored out of my brain just playing Premiership rugby a week and week out, but they're in Europe, so that looks cool. Um, went up there, and the the foreign boys got a hold of me on Tuesday. And said, and because my partner didn't come up, or partner at that time didn't come up until months after, and they said, "I'll oh, we'll take you out for a uh, feed." I was like, "Oh, yes, sweet!" And they took me out, and all of a sudden, I realised this feed was not going to be just a uh, bit of sushi and home very quickly. <laughs> so we went out and had about a four or five o'clock hour on the Tuesday, leading into Montpellier in the European Cup, and. Uh, I woke up and I was right. Wasn't there a sauna? Um, I was in a frenzy. I was thinking, what sort of preparation is this? We went out. We beat Montpellier, and uh, I get me on the match. And I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I can enjoy myself over here and still play half these footy. And uh, we, uh, the South African boys, and we're like, oh well, I guess we repeat the dose this week, do we? So we went out, did the same, lost. Oh well, we'll try it again. Went out, did the same, no work. So. I guess I got into a real false sense of uh, what it was going to be like. But, um, no, nah, I mean, 
like at the time, I think because I, you know, I, I guess I ticked not from a playing point of view, but preparation wise, I knew that I wasn't the most gifted in New Zealand, so I had to train harder and, and do all the stuff to get to where I got to there. I sort of guess I got up there and with no dream of being an All Black again because I was in Bath. I guess I just almost relaxed and and thought, you know what, you deserve time to enjoy it. Yeah, and and unfortunately for Bath, I you know they still were paying me to play good rugby, and yet I was cruising to be fair. Um, and then a few things happened around the club which didn't help my attitude towards it all. You know, like they were, it's quite almost like because in Bath the rugby team is the only team. There's no mm-hmm. big soccer team. It, it is it is a rugby city, which is quite unique for England. Um, there was like there was local tabloid stuff. And, and stuff like that, which yeah. I was like, and so I was waking up one morning to be told that, oh, apparently it's all through the media that you're on your last warning. They're going to send, they're going to cut your contract and all this sort of stuff. Oh, and it's right. got, and it's got quotes from like the CEO and stuff now. And I, and I was straight away, I was like, to Rachel, tell them I want to see them this afternoon. And uh, and it just never, never fronted and, and stuff like that, and just just spiraled a bit. So as that relationship goes, um, and then the following year they changed coaches, and um, I thought that was going to be a bit different. And, and I really knuckled down in the preseason and and tried to get really prepared well. And then the new coaches, um, who was a good fella to socialise with, but um, he's South African, and all he wanted us to do was kick until we got to the opposition twenty. Yeah, and like I'm like, oh, geez, what's the point of me being here? Because I've never been accused of being a great kicking team. Um, so you know, just it just it became a bit of a mess by the end of it. And I had another year to run on my contract, but I had an option. And, and in the end, I was happy to get out. Um, I, I mean, I regret. I, there's a lot of things there I regret my time about, but um, there's also things that were coming from the club that were just not the environment you wanted to be a part of. You know, mm-hmm. so it was. It would have been nice to have had my time again there, but yeah, I mean, it was what it was. It was a good eye opener for me and. In, in so many regards, like I, I realised that you do have to prepare every week, you know, like yeah. your life depends on it as opposed to, oh, I'm up here now, I can sort of cruise a bit. Yeah. Um, you, get, you got found out pretty quickly. Mm. It didn't help that I went from about a 97 kg 5.8 to about 107 kg 5.8. But, <laughs> but that, that wasn't a great, uh, great conditioning aspect of mine. <laughs> Those Tuesday nights will do it. <laughs> Tuesday nights and too many pies. Uh, there's a wonderful diet up there if you allow it. To we had a full, we had a full time chef at uh, at the at the training base, yeah. as I say. Like obviously, there was every trimming, and we got breakfast, lunch, and sometimes an afternoon tea. But an afternoon tea would essentially be a three course meal, yeah. roast, the works. And like, I mean, I I mean, I love the food, so I was thinking this is heaven. And I've never had a cooked breakfast in my life on a training day in New Zealand, <laughs> and yet here I am with bacon, eggs, sausages. <laughs> And I'm just thinking, this is, this is what it's about, guys. Um, so, yeah, needless to say, I quickly went high up into those early 100s. <laughs> but you obviously sacrificed a fair bit of money to return back to New Zealand, but um, no regrets doing that. You had a hell of a time, like you've already sort of spoke about, coming back, playing for Waikato, winning the Ranfilly Shield, a few things that must stand out for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was funny. I just woke up one day and I go, right, I'm done. I want to go back to New Zealand. Um, I plenty of people telling me don't, don't come, don't come because you know, like obviously left on um, a good moment, and uh, you know a lot of my close people 
and people I respect were like, don't come back. Um, you can only go <laughs> down from here. But I was like, well, you know what? Like, if, if I come back and I'm a mess, then so be it, you know. Um, I'd rather come back and have a crack because at the time I was sort of 30-ish, early 30s, and I was like, well, you know, it's too early to retire. Mm. But it's also, to, you know, not too late to, if you've got any regrets, you know, that you want to achieve or anything like that, then come back and roll the dice. And I guess uh, when I made the decision, um, I didn't have any correspondence with the chief, so I just said to Waikato, got, we got in touch with Waikato, and they said, oh, look, there's only a minimum deal there, 17000 blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, no, that's fine. We'll, we'll pick that up and just go from there. And then a couple of, couple of days later, I got a message from my agent saying, oh, Renz is keen to meet you. And I was like, well, I'm actually halfway to the Coromandel, but when does he want to meet me? And they go, oh, in about an hour's time. <laughs> so I, I had me, old, me and my old man going for a fish over in the Coromandel, and I was just like, Dad, we just got to turn around here. <laughs> and so just turned around and a three-hour round trip back to Hamilton, went and had a beer with Renz, and Renz said, uh, I remember saying, look, well, why do you want to be a chief again? I said, well, you guys seem to know how to win them, and I'll be pretty keen on winning one. Mm. And uh, he's like, yep, okay. You make it happen from your end, I'll make it happen from this end. And we shook the hands, had a couple more beers, and I was back on my way to the Coromandel to go fishing. <laughs> Easy as that. Well, you didn't quite win one, did you? But you got pretty uh, close. Yeah, a couple of semi finals. And, mm. and, and at the day, like, I don't, you know, like, would have been nice to have won one, but at least yeah. I was part of, a, part of an outfit that gave it a red hot crack. And, you know, there's a couple of couple of games we probably let slip during the uh, season, which, you know, at that time, home advantage during the finals was almost the gate to winning it, you know. So, um, but yeah, as I say, certainly can leave that aspect with absolutely not a re- no regrets at all. Mm, but you did win the Shield, um, and we've heard Damien on already who spoke about the – and Brad Weber, I think. I think they were both in your side at the time and spoke about the after party at your house. One of the great do's. Yeah, I mean, it might have been for them. Um, I was still patching up the uh, <laughs> patching up the uh, aftermath of it for months after, but uh, I'm sure they had a great couple of days. <laughs> what was it like playing with all those young guys who were coming through? You come back, more experienced guy, just won the Rugby World Cup a few years earlier. Um, all of them would have looked up to you. What was it like? What was the relationship like? Yeah, well, they didn't look up to me for long. They quickly uh, started ripping me to pieces. But, uh, <laughs> no, they, it was, like, as I say, it was rugby's special sort of environments because you can quickly forget that you're 30 and they're 19 or 20. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you think that you're the same age. But uh, <laughs> um, it was great coming back with that group. Um, obviously, since then, I've formed relationships with the guys you've mentioned and, and that, like, that are, that are more than rugby and that now. So, mm. um you know, like it's bizarre because at the time when you're a 30 year old, you think about your average 20 year old and you're thinking, well, I'm probably not going to be mates with a 20 year old. But um, <laughs> that's, that's just the way it turned out with the rugby boys. And uh, yeah. and yeah, it's uh, obviously pretty like minded people, apart from uh, apart from Damien, who's obviously a lot more serious than, than most. <laughs> um, but uh, the rest of them, very relaxed individuals. And uh, and as I say, great, great to be part of it. And not just them, but like to come back and play in the Chiefs that. Contained a, a Brody Retallick, for, mm. for example. You know, you end up playing with the big guys, and you know, like he'll go down as one of the all-time greats. So, mm. um, pretty cool to cool to play with him and stuff like that. So, um, nah, pretty special to come back and be a part of that crew. Mm. And one guy who did look up to you, I know for sure, was Tim O'Malley. And I do want to hear the story about <laughs> when he asked you for a photo. 
at halftime running up the <laughs> running up the tunnel. Surely this is a yarn. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's not actually, and, and I was surprised he did because uh, it's that year last year I played EPC with counties, and uh, we did a wretched year, and but we were just before half time. Um, they got us back in the game, and I'm not sure it was Tim or someone else was playing in the midfield that day for an intercept. And I think Timmy and I plucked it out, and we scored under the post. And because and I had a relationship with Finlay, so I turned and just start feeding it to Finlay, saying, "What are you doing, Red? What are you making that sort of call on half time for? You're just giving us the game back." And I'm just feeding it to him, and I'm not sure if poor Timmy got a got an earful of that too, or who I was giving it to. But uh, halfway up the tunnel, the great man asked me for a photo after the game, so. Um, yeah, and then obviously we became uh, good mates in, uh, in Japan as uh, Green Rockets teammates. But no, it is a true story. It's never happened before. Um, I thought, what a lovely gentleman. I certainly stopped uh, sledging him after that. <laughs> oh, that cracks me up so much. I love it. And then your teammates the following year over in Japan. So why did you go yeah. to Japan? Was that just a top-up? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's no hiding from the fact that that's, uh, it's a good spot to make money. Um, but uh, no, I, I after Bath, um, pulling into Japan was good, you know, like it, it got I guess the love of the rugby back. Um, and yeah, you know, it's like they you paid obviously more money than you've ever seen, but then you've then you've got guys who just appreciate the game for what it is yeah. and, and they forget about the money and, and all of that and the professionalism. And you go out and do your bit for the company in the weekend, and then you know. They just happy to have you there and win or lose, you you make sure you have a good time after the game with the boys. And it's just it's just a refreshing place. Obviously, certainly no one asks you the Japanese man in Shinjuku doesn't know a thing about Hong Kong. Um, so <laughs> you can you can walk around pretty anonymous there. Um, and it's just like it's it's just a great place to go, you know. And you know, like there's, there's challenges, there's challenges there, obviously. You, you know, your downtime can sometimes <laughs> You get too much of it at times over there. I talked to Damien the other night and I said, he's like, you almost, I said, you want to be training more often, don't you? He goes, yeah, you're right. Like, you literally get um, you get too much downtime to be stuck in your apartment. But, um, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it highly enough, you know. Just from a rugby point of view, it's not over-coached and over-structured. You know, there's still an aspect of you still at school playing yeah. footy, but that enjoyment factor. And I remember first couple uh, – games up there when I put in what I thought was a beautiful raking wipers kick and your wingers would look at you thinking well who's chasing that because I'm not you know and I'm like I've found grass you know we can catch them in the corner but no not interested no and, kick you know, pressure it's, no, it's no kick pressure um, so no it's, um, it's that, that I enjoyed you know it was literally 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock game, go out, throw the ball around, go hard, and then, you know, the boys will the boys will have a social party, as you know, a social. Yeah. They call the social. Every weekend there'll be another reason to have a social, and we'll be we'll have booked out some uh, all-you-can-drink-and-all-you-can-eat all you can eat place for two hours, and then it'll be clap your hands and see you on Monday sort of thing. It's uh, just a wonderful, wonderful way to live life, those boys. Yeah, and you must have spent some time at karaoke over there, especially after your – a masked singer. Um, <laughs> I'd never seen this before till last night. Someone sent the question in and I looked it up and I couldn't believe it. How did you get roped into that one? I'm surprised you, I'm surprised you're still interviewing me after all the respect would have gone. Um, <laughs> look, uh, you know, as I say, it was a long time between paychecks. And when the masked singer came knocking, I had to answer. Um, 
Anyone that's been in the karaoke machine, uh, booth with me in Tokyo would have told you he should be nowhere near a singing show, that's for sure. But uh, as I say, it was a long time between uh, paychecks, so I had to do it. <laughs> what were the nerves like before going on that? That must have been right up there. I thought nothing of it. Did all the, well, until a point. I did all the pre-recording and all the rest of it and the voice stuff and did all that. And then on filming day, you're locked in a room and then they bring you out and you're standing there in a six foot four or six foot, well, about an eight foot tall mower costume. And you're thinking to yourself, what have I signed up for here? Uh, you're thinking, how much are they paying me for this? Was it enough? Um, and then, uh, like, all along, I'd been told, so I said, look, I don't dance. So I'm not going to dance on stage. They're like, yeah, no, no, it's no problem. Um, you'll have backup dancers, it'll be fine. So I was like, oh, okay, sweet ass. I'll go stand out there for a minute and a half and just go put up with it. Then all of a sudden on filming day, they say, oh, no, hasn't anyone told you? You don't have backup dancers. You're going to have to be around. I was like, oh. And that's when, that's when the sweat was just dripping. And then I was, I was rope wall. I was rope wall off after it. And then I sort of tried to forget about it, tried to get on with life. And then obviously months after, you know the show's coming out. Where can I hide? Where can I bury myself for a couple of days while this blows over? Well, I suppose you're so used to coughing criticism that this was nothing. Well, I did wonder after it, why did I put myself uh, into the firing line again? Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I mean, people, people – People who took it seriously were probably a bit offended that I'd be on a singing show, but uh, people who saw it for what it was probably, uh, you know. Oh, so of, good. Well, it's <laughs> so there's funny. A clown, there's a clown trying to put bread on his table for his young family. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, so how did the retirement from rugby come about? Was that your own call or was it injuries? No, I mean, I mean, the body in that last year in Japan was starting to creak and, you know, like was starting to – do things like calves, which are old men's injuries. So, yeah. but in the end, in the end, I sort of I just came back. Obviously, when COVID hit over there, and, and we all jumped on that emergency plane out of, out of uh, Merida, and um, and I just I didn't really make, I neither didn't really make a hard call about it. Um, talked to my agent about it and said, look, if, if something pops up that's bloody good, then I'm I'm all go. So I, I kept training for I guess during you know during lockdown and that when there wasn't a whole lot to do for that time. <laughs> So I kept training, um, didn't didn't play NBC obviously, and just trained and just sort of stayed. And then a couple a couple did come through, but not ones that sort of made you want to get to the airport and, and, and go and do it all again, you know. So um, in the end, sort of just sort of drifted off, and um, then that's when I guess a few of the things like this job came up and um, and other things came up. So. And, you know, Mars Singer came up, so they tied me over for another month or two. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it, I didn't really – I got, I didn't think I warranted um, doing a big announcement um, as far as I retired from rugby. Um, I didn't need to call a press conference. Uh, so I just sort of just drifted off, really. Um, like, obviously, there was, there was chatting around that American stuff and, and all that sort of stuff. But to uproot the family would have – for for not, you know, not huge wedge these mm. days, you know, it would have been a bit probably selfish from, from me. So, so just we parked up at home and starting to build our little life there. So, yeah, um, I'm pretty content with how it all unfolded. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't great finishing on the COVID season. Yeah. But, yeah. So you're definitely done though? 
this is this your announcement, Vic? Is this your oh, announcement? Is this <laughs> no one actually wanted no one's wanted it, mate. So you can have it. Here we go. Stephen Donald <laughs> retires from rugby officially. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I've actually been in talks with the local club team, so they're, they're, they're putting a contract proposal to me right now. So we'll, we'll see oh. what we'll see what comes of it. <laughs> It'll be about two, three handles a Saturday, so it'll be, yeah. it'll be tough to figure out. Yeah, what's the thing you miss most about rugby? Is it is it that side of it? Uh, that side of it, being part of a team and, and the rest of it. But I have noticed in the, in the year or two since I've been out of it that competitive um, aspect on a on a Friday night going to bed knowing that I'm about to have a shit sleep because I'm yeah. nervous about what's going to unfold tomorrow. Yeah, I, the competitiveness, you know, I don't think you lose that. And mm-hmm. that's what I've, that's why I still miss and, and crave and every now and again watch TV and see people like Kahui stealing a living at the force and think, well, maybe I could do it too, you know? So, um, But, yeah, that, that, and that and being part of a team and, you know, those those times you have after a good win or, or whatever, you know? Absolutely. Well, as always, we've gone to Instagram for some questions. That is one of the greatest journeys ever. But plenty of questions came through. I've chosen the best 10. Uh, most of the questions came in a, were around your nuts. So Victor obviously mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> he mentioned that you had big nuts, and I didn't think much of it. I thought it was just the because um, this yeah. an RAT podcast. Or what? <laughs> I thought it was just because you were ice cold when you kicked that penalty, but there must be more to it because Kirsty mentioned it too when I came on. So <laughs> <laughs> no, she asked about no, it. No, you, yeah, I can assure you. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Victor was going on about there, and I was quite offended by him, to be fair. Uh, but uh, no, I've got. I've just got no answer. I really have. Um, so massive nuts. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess. Are there some pretty high-profile uh, followers of yours that text the messages in, or? <laughs> oh, there's a few. A few have probably seen you in the shower. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a few think this is hilarious. <laughs> okay, the other one was how do you get the nickname Beaver? This one came in a bit. No, just uh, I as a kid uh, had two front teeth for probably longer than a kid should have. There was no supporting, there were no supporting aspects. And uh, one of my good mates uh, thought I looked like a beaver, and it's uh, you know obviously not the most. Easy on the eye, child, and uh, haven't grown into most easy on the eye at all. But um, he was just cruel, and unfortunately, it stuck. And uh, Beaver just followed me everywhere. Oh, that's crazy! I don't know. It came back from that long ago. Yeah, I know everyone anticipates a lot better story than that. Um, but no, that's uh, good. No. like that. This okay, is... next one. Did Jimmy Cowan actually stick up for you like he did in the movie? <laughs> Of course he did. Uh, anyone knows Jimmy knows uh, you want him in your corner uh, in any situation. So no, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy's a wonderful man, but uh, he is there when you need him most. That's oh, for sure. No doubt. Okay, how hairy are you really? Uh, quite an interesting question, man. Um, mm. it, it blows a lot of people's minds that uh, from the knees and the elbows down, very hairy, um, and then pretty poor elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. True, like, no chest also, hair. No, like sprinkles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would imagine you having a big bush under there. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's uh, <laughs> obviously hearing, hearing neck, hairy arms from elbow down and hairy legs from your shin down, but yeah. Oh. Very, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's about. There's no good for Mesto cards, I'll tell you that. Good for the quads, though. (laughs) Great for the quads. A lot of heavy heavy massages. Okay, next one. Best team, piss up. There would have been a few. Oh, Jesus. Really having to dive deep now. Um, Sort of mentioned that All Black one, didn't you? Yeah, that one. Yeah, All Black Black one in Wellington. Mm. Um, before the parade was was probably the best all black one, uh, best Chiefs one. It's a, it was a controversial one and got a few people in trouble. But the flight probably probably from the moment we walked off Loftus to the moment we probably about Thursday back in Hamilton after that two thousand nine final. Um, it's fair to say the boys didn't prepare themselves going to a business class flight on the way home. And I don't think business class was prepared for the Chiefs to come into that flight after losing to Loft- at Loftus by 50. Um, a few guys never got more contracts after that. Uh, it was quite a controversial trip home. Um, a few medical people got, uh, a few of the sleeping pills got put in the wrong people's uh, drinks. And uh, it was, it was, there were some repercussions from that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was all the same. It was good. We had... Uh, we it turned into an impromptu costume one too because we'd gone to the uh, police second store in Pretoria during that week. You know what it's like trying to fill in a week in Pretoria, not easy. Uh, so we went shopping and got all this army kit um, from their store. And Cucks had a gas mask. I had the full uh, like our defenders outfit with the vest and the works. And uh, we decided that after that loss, why not get into it? So yeah, that was probably. That was probably the best Chiefs piss up, and well, why can't they, why can't they piss up? So, well, any, every week, it was some good away trips. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay, next one. Favorite player to watch? Favorite player to watch? Uh, oh, probably Jeff Wilson when I was growing up. Mm. It was just, just silky, just an array of skills, the chip and chase. Yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty special to watch in his prime. Goldie, one of the greats. Goldie. Okay, next yeah. one. Next one. Swift the Swiss question. Shout out to the new major sponsor. But if you could get a video call from anyone in the world, who would it be? Um. Oh, Pete Sampras actually. Oh, uh, legend. Going back, going back to my tennis days, and, and another man that's very hairy. He has probably from the elbow man. down. Yeah, look alike, kind of. <laughs> 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 yeah, possibly, possibly, but no, he'd be up there. Have you had that before, Pete Sampras lookalike? Sure. No. no. Oh, no, sure, I have had it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> okay. I was hoping for Brad Pitt lookalike, but no. <laughs> okay, two more. Advice to deal with public criticism? Um. Oh, I guess I learned after it all that, you know, you are who you are and you're not who that person says you are. So at the end of the day, you just got to be, and it's corny as hell, but it's just like being true to you, like being you really. Um, You've just got to somehow just block it. Um, You know, like a lot of boys go through it and complain about it. You know, like easiest thing would be to ignore social media, but it's such a part of everyone's lives these days that it'd be tough for them, tough for that younger generation too. But the other part of it is just, just be, be you, you know, you're like you're not necessarily Damien McKenzie, the rugby player. You're, you're Damien McKenzie, and you know, like as an example, don't 
don't, your identity is not based on, you know, who you are as a rugby player or, or what have you. You just got to be you, the person. And if people have an issue with that, then that's fine. But you you know who you are. So I just I just big on just block it out and just ignore it because they don't know you. Yeah, geez, I like that from the man who's <laughs> caught probably the most. Last question: Be this best piece of advice. This will be good. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I need to come up with something good, but I'm just I'm just coming up empty. Uh, it feels like the right thing to do it. Do it. Oh, short, sharp to the point. I love that. I knew you'd come up, Trumps. Oh, one of the great ways to finish. One of the great podcasts, mate. Really appreciate you giving up your time. I know you're flat out at the moment with all your jobs and. I um, really appreciate you coming on here for oh, almost an hour and a half with one of the greatest yarns we've ever had. Uh, thanks for having me, mate. I feel honoured you've had an array of superstars on here, so it's great to, uh, great to join them. Mate, one of the greats. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate.